Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you, introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute routing in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by Capita. Capita's software solution seeks to automate the equity management process for startups, including workflows around cap tables, ESOPs, due diligence, and transactions. Sign up at Capita.com to get started with your digital cap table, ESOP, award granting, and all things equity. Free for companies with under 25 stakeholders. Also powered by Limitless Connect. Limitless Connect can provide digital CX solutions. The teams of Limitless Connect have years of CX experience, which equip them as the driving contact centers in the future. Sign up for a free consultation with Limitless Connect at www.limitlesscx.com. With Limitless Connect by your side, anything is possible. And brought to you by GoTime Bank. GoTime Bank is owned by the Gokongwe Group, the same companies that brought you brands you love like Cebu Pacific and many more. GoTime Bank makes next-level banking a breeze with its convenient account opening process. It takes less than five minutes to get started via the free app. Plus, get your GoTime Bank Visa card at one of their kiosks for free. Download the GoTime Bank app today and experience the next level of banking. You may visit www.gotime.com.ph for more details. When I go into the entrepreneurship class, the first thing I tell them is, don't do it. Don't do any entrepreneurship of doing, right? It's a lot of pain. I start by saying you will probably regret doing entrepreneurship. But there's a but. If you like that thrill, if you want to be in control of your own destiny, just like us. Eight or nine days out of ten are fucked up. 
But that one day or two days that you fucking get it done, man, it's worth it. Welcome to Hustle Share, the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Beitiong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Share Podcast. We finally got this guy. Uh, I've been a very big fan and uh, one of the very few people, not few, there's a lot of people that I respect, but these are the, one of the OGs that has transcended generation <laughs> over generation <laughs> of startup founders in the Philippines. But without further ado, Let's welcome to the show the founder and CEO of Steer, Mr. Arup Mady. Welcome to the show, Arup. Thank you, thank you. All right, so again, very big fan of yours. Man, I have a little story. All right. I remember the very first time I met you. I don't know if you remember. Uh, you pitched. Where? In the, one of the competitions, uh, Launchpad, was it? Nah, so I remember it because that's the very first time I've ever gotten to be exposed in this thing called a startup. I didn't even know what the startup was. This is the year was 2012, 11 years ago. Oh, okay. This was in Mint College in their former location because Mint is here now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Mint, previous one. Mint in, in uh, near Venice, Piazza. Yeah, BGC. And it was Echelon. It wasn't even called the Top 200. It's the Echelon... Pitching competition. Yeah. Shout yeah, out yeah. Moan Run. <laughs> and I didn't know what the fuck I was going to do. You or you guys are pitching Samun. Oh, okay. Wow. Right? <laughs> yeah. Samun. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, remember yeah, this. Yeah. Right? And then I was pitching, obviously, guestless.ph. And long story short, we've iterated, failed, and triumphed a lot in between. But yeah. That's how far back I've known of you. Never got a chance to really sit down and dissect our hustles together. Uh huh. But this time, that's why we're doing it. But yep, man, there's so many things that have happened since then. Yeah, well, a lot of time, right? Ten years <laughs> in this yeah. industry—that's a lot. Correct. These are generations. <laughs> I feel like an old fart, right? But again, before I get carried away, Arup, I need to ask you the million-dollar question. Mm -hmm. Arup, what's your hustle? So steer is something very close to my heart now. Uh. We'll get into more details later, but I'm a civil engineer uh, by training. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, weird, right? <laughs> oh, so right. I am a civil engineer. I did practice a bit before coming here and taking up the MBA. We'll go there. And it's one of the oldest industry, probably, you know, the caveman started probably building stuff and staying. And um, till now, today, it's still one of the least digitized industry. And it has several challenges. So we try to address some of those inefficiencies, those problems that can easily be done, easily be solved for contractors, for owners of properties, project managers. So that's what we do. It's a digital platform for construction management. Holy shit. I did not even know this. So <laughs> this is, okay, there's a construction boom everywhere, especially yep. in the Philippines. Just over the past 10 years since I've known of you. There's so BGC as we know it now yeah. does not look like BGC. Because yeah. back then I only know BGC when I was still, when I met you, as a place to go party. Embassy was the place to go. <laughs> you know, funny thing I'll talk to you about <laughs> later, but my team was part of the bidding for BGC. 
Are you kidding from me? BCDA. Yep. From BCDA. <laughs> oh my god, when they converted the whole property from a military base yep. into a private. But again, since you like uh, giving tidbits already, I need you to buckle <laughs> up Arup, real quick. Because I need to go all the way back and find and dissect mm-hmm. your origin story. Because we're going to have to ride the Hustle Share Time Machine. All right, and we're all the way back. And again, you mentioned tidbits already of how this uh, happened before. What are the things that you've done? But I want to go all the way back from your origin. I want to understand, before you even became a civil engineer, what was it like growing up? Mm -hmm. And then walk me through... Your early influences of hustling. All right. That's the psychiatrist part of yes. your whole <laughs> Why am I the psychiatrist now, huh? <laughs> okay, um, okay, okay. So go the way go all the way back to that moment. Right. So you know, I come from family of doctors. My grandfather oh, wow. was a doctor. Okay. Briefly in the British Army in India, and then he okay. was he was a doctor. What's, what's your hometown in India? Oh, you won't find it on the map easily. So, okay. uh, but somewhere close to Calcutta. Calcutta, right? right. So, uh, but we are we are like two hundred kilometers from Calcutta. My my grandfather was the only doctor in like fifty kilometer radius. Then he used to go around in his bike and take care of people at the middle of the night and get chased by leopards and whatever. So you oh know that, that was the long and, wow. and, and I spend my summers and holidays and you know lying down with my grandfather. Used to hear about his adventures and all. So those were the first adventure stories. Um, there are others. Um, then my my dad also has been a doctor and uh, he retired as a CEO of a government hospital some how many years ago? Probably close to 15, 20 years or something like that. Yeah. And um, so we were not into, uh, as a family from my uh, father's side of the family, we were not into any kind of hustle. Uh, we were professionals, right? I mean, that's what. And, and they were hoping that I become a doctor, but... Or, also either my me or my sister but none of the us went that way um engineering is where we went first but my my first learning of hustle was probably from my maternal uncle yeah he was um he has passed away but he was like the one i saw in the business he used to be into printing business um very different but i used to spend some time there i used to kind of sit around and it kind of gave me a different energy um you know seeing how deals are done how the ups and downs exciting so it was uh, adventure that got me interested long ago right and the other thing that kept me interested always is i wanted and until now what keeps me running is to build something like you're a builder right yeah so whether it's buildings yep. or software yep, yep. You will build. That's what it is. So, you know, I have always been into how to build something of significance. Uh, how can I make a difference in more lives and something beautiful? That's that's has been the driving force. That's amazing. Now, again, these are hustling is not something that is literally taught as a subject or as a <laughs> life lesson. You see it yeah. through actions. You've seen if your father did or your grandfather did that hustle as a doctor, you know, 50 kilometer radius on a bike 
there's not a lot of professions where I respect so much over their dedication of their time. Yep. Because doctors, I don't care what you're feeling. I don't care. Anytime. You know, you you are on call. Day and on you night. have to show up because yep. lives are on the line. Yep. Right? And that's one thing that you I, I, I commend uh, for, for that exposure because you see that and then now you got to see the printing business. Then you really get to see the real grind of how to do it. But when did you start finding this path that you're in? Because you, you eventually become a civil engineer. Yeah, it has right? been a meandering path of what we call a <laughs> serendipity walk. And I, I still walking and I'm not sure where it will end up, but it has been all over the place. Right? Okay. So, yeah, I mean, you know, as in India, when you graduate, at least in my time, I know, maybe a, another few years after that, the paths were either you become a doctor or an engineer. Uh, early on, I knew I don't want to be a doctor. <laughs> uh, you're, you're, cut, you're cutting the tradition. Or did some of your siblings still continue? No, my sister also went into computer science. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know you what happened the there. Chain, yeah, yeah, we broke the chain. We broke the chain. Sister. <laughs> so we, um, but you know, it was the intention of building something. So civil engineering sounded like something that would, make so i you know like anyone you write exams in india and then you get selected like i forgot how many it was one in 500 or one in thousand or something like that get selected in the few seats and i got a got a seat in the civil you know uh, engineering college and um took up civil because there was no computer science in uh, 88 <laughs> and that's how far back it goes right, so right. So yeah, I took that. I don't want to carbon date you, <laughs> but I was born in '88. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it it probably is a good thing. Maybe you know, <laughs> somewhere down the line, those who are trying to think that you know, do, uh, making a startup or something is an overnight thing. Maybe you know, our carbon dating will help them figure that it's an endurance game. Yeah, uh, it's a marathon rather than a you know short. It's a battle sprint. for survival. Yep. Yep, yep. Because people always think, again, it's so easy to look at Startup PH and see all the triumphs. Like, oh my God, everybody's killing it. Yeah. But what they don't realize is every overnight success took years and years of sacrifice, pain, and hustle to get there. You only see the tip of the iceberg, but underneath... It's just a lot of things you don't want to go through. And even those that are supposed to be successful, we are putting up a face there of, you know, sit down with them in private and you can hear the pains they are still going like through, right? It's like I understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, you know, when I was, uh, so other thing I do along the way is, um, so, okay, walking back, right? So civil engineering, graduated, jumped into trying to find some job. Walk the streets, uh, literally in Calcutta, you know, the rejections. That was the start of the rejection cycle. (laughs) Yeah, used to it. Getting getting a job at that time in India was not easy. Uh, The best jobs were like government jobs and not something that got me excited. So never even sat on an exam or something. Long story short, uh, one of the first job was... um, you know, construction site manager in Nepal. Wow. In Nepal. Up north. Uh, well, Nepal is another country itself. Right. Yeah. And, 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 you know, but it's like very close relation to India. So, yeah, you could go there without a passport. And right, that's right. where, right. so it was. Gateway to the Himalayas. Yep. 
Yep, and it was the royal family's project, something one What? of their yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it kind of matched the different things I do because you know I have grown up uh, also with wildlife photography, mm. and there has been so many instances. Well, not so many, at least three or four, where we were like. Chased by leopard or tiger. What? Uh, <laughs> Did you get to catch a yeti at least? No, <laughs> not 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 in Nepal, oh. but in, in those were in India, like where I grew up, where I studied. Um, there has been like you know, there has been times when I mean maybe some of this part of it is what built the risk appetite over the years. Um, you know, there has been times when uh, one of my good friend, he's now he he's uh, he's an accomplished photographer. He has published in National Geographic and all. Mm -hmm. So um, I used to have my bike and my camera, and he used to have a lot more cameras and lenses. And we used to just drive up to different parts of the central India, the yeah. thing that is known as the Kipling country. So you know, Rudyard Kipling wrote the right. Jungle Book, right? Right. So that Jungle Book was based on around the place where I grew up. Uh, wow! So that's that's called Kanha Kisli. Uh, it's a it's a forest about 200 kilometers from my college, engineering college. And we used to just you know save up some money and just drive down there on the bike, and hang around there. And not only that, that's the park. But there were so many other places where you can go, and we used to spend overnights or days. And yeah, obviously, if you try to go and take photos of tiger, sometimes the tiger tries to track you down. <laughs> you could have been dinner. <laughs> well, you know, funny thing. Uh, at one time, so I mean, obviously, college life, and you have right. less money and everything. So we used to like pack <laughs> our food and go there. Yeah. And then one time we were getting, we knew it's tracking us, but we didn't know how to get out of it. So we said, okay, fine. We uh, walked back to back, like because. Oh there's a God. there's a general sense the tiger doesn't or avoids attacking from the face front. Ah. So we were walking and then we said, you know what? If we were to get killed, might as well finish our food that we brought. So we were right. literally walking and eating <laughs> <laughs> back to back, back to back. That would have been a great content in this in today's age. Like, look at these two fools on TikTok walking back to back in the middle of the jungle eating their food. Yeah, and we reached the bike and we drove away, <laughs> and uh, well, we we had our lunch and we didn't become lunch that day. But that, that's that, good. That's one of those things. Thank God the tiger didn't choose you to be his lunch because we, we wouldn't be. <laughs> talking to you but i'll fast forward a little bit Arun. yep yep so you now became the civil engineer right worked did, in nepal yeah and worked in nepal two things i really want to find out when did tech come into your life mm -hmm. and how did you end up here okay okay so um the first introduction of tech was in my thesis for civil engineering so i specialized in computer-aided design and structural analysis and design So I worked on the green screens, <laughs> and so you, you had to like put like five or six floppy disks to get it booted and running. Computer rooms used to be dust free, so you had to keep your shoes out and and stuff like that. So that was my first introduction to computers. Then I worked a couple of years and um, left Nepal at some stage, and uh, then uh, wanted to do something on my own. Did some first of first few pitches ever mm -hmm. uh, trying to get a contract as a civil engineer. I wanted to become a contractor at that ah, stage, right? Got it. So with some friends, we did that. And well, you know, uh, people kind of looked at us and said, you don't have much experience and stuff like that. <laughs> so yeah, it didn't go far. Right. Then in between at some stage, I was sitting with another good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. 
And he said, he, why don't you take up some master's degree in between while figuring? I said, God, I don't want to study anymore. You know, I've done enough of this. Uh, he said, no, no, no. Um, you know, what are you going to do? I don't want to get a job. And he said, no, no. Uh, the thing is, if you do something like an MBA, it kind of prepares you for both the world. You can understand how business is run, so you will do it better. But in the meanwhile, you can get a job, you can go anywhere. It just gives you more freedom. So that's when it started. I was still working and preparing for exams for MBA. And then some one thing led to other. I just found out about Philippines and AIM and wrote the exam, got in. This is for, for AIM? Yes. Wow. Took the loan. That took some other pitching around to get a loan, student loan, and landed up here on August 12 of 1995. Okay. So I want to understand before we take our first break. Sure. Sure. After we come back, we will be talking about your whole tech grind because you didn't you, you didn't leave anymore uh, when you got here. What's with AIM? Because I've I've had some guests before mm-hmm. that I mean I've had, it's had this reputation. If you don't know AIM or AIM, or yeah. I don't know what you want to call it. Yeah. If it's not the best, it's one of the best mm-hmm. schools mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. business and entrepreneurship, and especially in the master's degree. Yep. That people literally again take loans to go here. And study. So, you know, I mean, the ratings and all keeps changing. But uh, during my time, uh, it was ranked within top five business schools in Asia Pacific. Wow. So n- number one, if I remember correctly, was Keo from uh, Tokyo, Japan. Uh, the second one was Melbourne Business School. Uh, I think the third one at that point of time was AIM. Wow. So if you don't know the history, AIM was actually formed by kind of bringing in the professors from HBS. Harvard Business School. Yep, yep. Some of my first few professors, actually, we were lucky to have a good number of professors who were the originals from there. Gabi wow. Mendoza, Salazar, etc. And the funny thing is, we used to still, that used to be a joke, the air con in AIM used to be really cold. <laughs> uh, they brought that from Boston too? We used to say that. <laughs> they brought the weather too. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Yep. All right, so when you got here, studied, what, was, what was the course and how did you... There was only one up? course then, okay. uh, general management. There was no specialization or anything like that, right? So we did that two years um, before I nearly graduated. I was already working with the Metro Pacific group. Uh, ah, so, you, so, so you went MP first. Yeah, well, so my professor was Danny Antonio and uh, he picked me and that's when I got involved in that uh, BGC. So I was part of that group which did... Consulting, uh, business feasibility, market research, consulting. So we did a lot of real estate, but also other kind of uh, residential, commercial, uh, resort and whatnot. And I was with them for two years. After that, I started another company, which was in the same line of business. I kind of somewhere halfway through there, I jumped into the Kool-Aid dot com. There you go. But before we take our first break, last question before we take that break. I want to understand from an engineering standpoint where you have to be wired differently to solve problems and build. Now you go to general management and you have to relearn or unlearn some things. What are those things that does not mesh together with two those these two discipline disciplines? And what are those two that mesh together very well that allowed you to probably give an edge because that skill stack is already 
in there. Numbers, right? The numbers were easy. So immediately, so the first three months at AIM used to be quite a boot camp. 18 hours a day. Wow. People slept off like sitting in the classroom. Some fell off the chair. Uh, <laughs> and the, out, of, out of our 185 or something that started around, uh, we lost about 20. And out of that, like first, first month itself, 10 left. They said, wow. we can't just go through this torture after paying so much money. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, it's just like you got paid, you paid to get bamboozled. So yeah, that, that was painful. So um, new things that I learned was to get comfortable talking. Talking wasn't natural. Um, Why? Well, you know, as an engineer, you don't get up in front of people and try to sell them stuff, right? Or, <laughs> yes. or, or you know, uh, make a you know a room full of people trying to uh, talk about things that you may not be an expert on, but you need to talk. So yeah, those were those were new marketing concepts. What new market research was somewhat related, but yeah, there there were many other aspects that were very interesting, like you know. Uh, people aspect, managing people, etc. So a lot of lot of new skills and knowledge. Um, accounting was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we barely survived through it. Uh, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Finance was great. Okay. Uh, and we got one of the best um, professors then, uh, Ed Morato. Uh, he was like, we used to call him the magician. So, you know, he has to, I mean, every, every class you attend of his, it used to be like, a magic show. So he'll like wow. take you through the whole thing and then at the end of it in like 30 cool. seconds, he'll solve the whole problem that the and, and give you a whole new perspective of how uh, numbers should That's be amazing. thought about. Yeah. Not until your accounting professor comes in and makes you balance the balance <laughs> and takes a cash flow statement. Well, the good thing was we were done with it in the first two, three months. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, that's good. All right, now let's take our first break and when we come back, we will now talk about how you then drank the Kool-Aid and never left tech at that point all the way to how you created blast asia and of course steer well, let's talk about that more after the break and we're back in the break we are still with arup mighty all right who then told us what he how he ended up here in the philippines but if you had um friends that were already telling you that i mean you had batchmates that were like you know what i'm done this ain't worth it Whatever. What made you stay and stay in two things? Stay with it to finish the program, and what made you stay to even do dot com in the Philippines where the infra wasn't even there at all? You'd probably be better off if you did dot com in India. Yeah, I was listening to some of your other podcasts and you know dating myself, thinking of the same things that because <laughs> because you know the the first time. So we got to be introduced to internet at AIM. Um, we were given email addresses and we were given access to the telnet kind of, you know, academy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact 24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact 24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCON PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at saschallenge.ph that's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck, and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. The network, whatever that was, and we couldn't figure why the heck, what can we do there? <laughs> One of the first use cases we found was uh, there was some dude in India or somewhere who was like, you know, collecting all the headline news and sending it over email. So it's like you can subscribe to that and you'll get a bunch of headlines so okay, okay fine at least so that was the non-ui yeah. internet yeah. and on the second year i bought a laptop okay was needed for doing bunch of things instead otherwise you have to like run to the computer room at that's am <laughs> we did that for one year and the second year you know my uncle i was talking about so he kind of said hey I'll, I'll give you some money you can buy some laptop so uh, buying a laptop then was really, really an investment. Absolutely. Till now, it's depending on what you buy. It was a company called Texas Instrument. They don't make oh, laptops anymore. Oh my God. And the mouse, there was no mouse. It was like a trackball that you had to, right, right. you know, fit it with a screw on the side. But anyway, the way to get to connect for email or anything used to be like through those telephone modems. Yep. And you could connect to AIM. And then AIM from there used to connect to some other thing. So that was my start of technology introduction and AI. you know the funny thing is when we came here we were supposed to submit our papers at AIM and those papers included like you know financial statements and whatever you have to make we made it in yellow pads and then typed it back into Lotus 1, 2, 3, which was there because we didn't know how to use the Lotus 1, 2, 3 to do the computation. Wow. But they, the, the professor said, you can't submit it in paper. So you have to submit it in <laughs> a floppy disk or whatever. And, and we retyped it. Yeah, Th- that was the first month <laughs> till we figured how to work out the formulas and all. But yeah, that, that was the chat GPD to do that. And you're done in <laughs> two minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, AIM, no, there was never a question in my mind uh, of whether I want to do AIM or not. And while there was like a fall off of, uh, I don't know, 10, 20 percent, somehow I found AIM to be my natural home. Because now, for full disclosure, Arup 
is now a professor, has been a professor in AIM for a very long time now. Yeah, about 18 years or something yep, like that. since December 2001. Again, not carbon dating. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's more than 20 now. Mm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so I got into it. I I, I was part of the first um, list of, so, you know, I, I never did too well in college before because whenever it came to writing, I'm really poor in writing. I have, um, you know, I, I make a lot of spelling mistakes and all. So there's some disability built in there. Um, but AIM was mostly talking. AIM was mostly talking, participation. Uh, you didn't get graded on written exams. And that changed me from being a average poor student to being um, on the better side of things. Um, and built the confidence and everything. So I, I loved it. I, I actually prospered and I felt I found the right place. So AIM was a good experience for me. The others might have had their own challenges for me. It was it was great. And yeah, went through the whole two years, enjoyed it. Actually, most things I, you know, there are, there are this talk about people say there are people who looks at thing at a glass half full and then there are others who look at it half empty. Some of us entrepreneurs, we actually not only look at it as half full, but we then we give reason why it's great to have half empty on the top because right. you can do something more. There's an opportunity to, to bridge a gap at the top. So uh, that's that's the perspective I did. So AIM was great. And then I got pulled in and, you know, that natural liking for adventure. Um Part of doing that job that I got in with the Metro Pacific Group included traveling to all and con, con, you know all the corners of the country. Okay. Um, got I got a good uh, Hilux um, as part of the nice. job, so I could like you know I did a did a trip of the whole loop of the Sagatha. Uh, wow! During like a weird time of the month with rains and everything and oh, landslides no. <laughs> and whatever happening so oh, yeah right. th those kind of things you've had a lot of near-death experiences Aru. okay we've had a tiger <laughs> episode now you have a, a landslide episode I'll, I'll look forward to the next one this is amazing <laughs> so okay coming here i want to understand dot com what did you build and why did you why did you even build it right yeah uh, <laughs> what was it like being an entrepreneur during the dot com era in your perspective actually i did not start uh, building whatever I was building uh, mm. thinking that I'm going to make a business of it because just then there was like a cycle where there was a crisis right 99 Asian financial crisis and all and then um, the Metro Pacific group Lanco Pacific they were shrinking their group and they wanted to move me to the core strat and shut down the market research and strategy group went back to them gave an offer that okay I'll just you know pay us a separation mm. we'll put up a company and wow. then that was the first main hustle. That company was created uh, 99. Okay. This is pre-Blast Asia. Yeah. This company, uh, Land Excel Consulting. Yep. You know, the great thing with those stint up MPC and Land Excel was I worked with, I got the opportunity to work with the, and, uh, not only the entrepreneurs, like all the Taipans of this country. So I got to have lunch with Henry C. I got to present and convince someone like Lucio Tan. I got oh to work God. closely with the, like the Mr. Koson, the husband of Desi. Yeah. And that gave a different perspective 
how business is done. I had experience of pitching one of their project to the board of Rojas Group, and this were like. Their board, half of them flew in from Spain. So, so you sit down, you, you make a presentation, and it feels like you're in a Godfather movie or something. <laughs> what was it like, and what's their aura, and how do they think? Because I've ever had like Bam, Bam here last episode said that one of the things that he learned so much from was being in a negotiation table with Herbert C, which is the son of Henry C, right? But just being exposed to those people, say in a meeting or a couple of meetings, you take so much away from those. And being exposed to so many type hands, of course, you're pitching and you're where you you're pitching already again, land Excel at this point. But I'm pretty sure you've continued this on on your next gig with with your next startup, uh, Blast Asia. But what did you take when you were pitching these guys? Because of course, the network will come. The net, net, not, net network would all obviously expand. Is you know you're not gonna get all those opportunities to pitch that high if you didn't have anything good to to be. The, the thing is that you know I mean it was a smoother entry. It was not like I was trying to pitch to them to sell uh, or services. Uh, it was my boss then, Danny Antonio, who was like the favorite of all the Taipans and everyone around. So they used to look at him as the whiz kid. And he used to just pass the bucket to me, like, okay, you go and you deal with it, right? So, and then, uh, so, I mean, this were all, in a way, easy um, in getting the deal. So, what, so it was more like, you know, I was working with them, not to convince them on getting our service. They were already convinced because if I'm getting endorsed by someone they trust, it was more of delivering and, uh, you know, Aligning with their thinking, how they think, how they make a decision on a business, how they think, okay, whether to invest a billion or two on something. So that alignment was the great learning. I mean, including, well, I don't know if that's a a great uh, star on our, you know, achievement, but we were behind the bid for winning the um, uh, BGC deal. So, you know, that price, whatever was, 33 or 36,000 or whatever per square meter, which later on got regretted, like it was overpri- overpaid or something. But, you know, it, that's how it look goes. Look at it now. <laughs> look at it now, though. Yeah, look at some 400,000, 500,000 per square, right? It was regretted briefly due to the crisis, the delays and but all. Long game, look at it. And that that was what we said. I mean, you know, you just need to survive. But that's what it is in real estate and construction. You need to survive it through. It's a long game. How did that jump off from... Again, doing what you've been doing for a while now, went to school with it, civil engineering to then Blast Asia. Because you're just for context. Yes. I just want to give flowers for flowers, flowers to do. I've seen, I'm on my third now, third startup. I'm 12 years in, 13 years in. Arup has been doing this since August 2000. 22 years, nine months, same company. Where in a startup or anything in software, Everything just hangs in a balance every time. You're always one mistake away from completely blowing it up. You're if you're not the the one that's the most durable, you're one of the few that are t- are durable till now. So I want to understand what are those. Things How did you're I building? get into it? Right? How uh-huh. did you even get into it? So I didn't answer your previous question. So it was like I had a laptop. I had a dial-in internet. And I had a lot of time because I was a bachelor. So uh, instead of partying and going around, 
which we did sometime but you know <laughs> most of the time it went into just uh, somehow the internet and the web technology got me mesmerized i mean before all the dot com stories and everything became huge i felt that this can change the world and how everything is done yeah. and i started learning in the beginning it was the html oh so you learned how to code yeah i learned wow. to code i learned to make web pages and i i built through um, software uh, in the area of because i was in real estate and uh, right, so something right. like a lamuni of a kind is what i built mm. on my own and then i happened to know few people uh, in the investment banking and all because i was always you know i came in contact with them in in some or other of those projects i was dealing with and i just started talking about uh, you know this is something i'm building and then i was not pitching i was on a phone and i was just sharing on a friendly chat that i am building something like that what do you think and this guy is um he said how much do you need i said i am not sure <laughs> okay <laughs> so i said uh but you're looking at raising money for this because this is a great idea it's a dot com idea and you know this dot coms are doing so great in uh us and all and right. i said okay i haven't thought about it let me get back to you yeah. so i kind of rounded up and said okay maybe we'll need like a 2 million peso pesos pesos wow uh, and said, this is the year 90 2000 this is um 99 wow this 99 shit ton of money <laughs> i was get, going home in india and getting married in december okay. and i was having this conversation like novemberish mm. and then he says okay great i'm in Yeah, 2 million now. You probably burn that in a month or two. Uh if you if you're that's when you're lean. Well, right? we burned it in 6 months. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. We, we burned it in 6 so months. 2 million back then is still the same way you yeah. burn 2 million now. Okay, and uh we we tried it frugally, but it was gone and uh <laughs> what did you guys build? Oh, we built what we called at that time Asia leasing. Uh, AsiaLeasing.com, and the idea of Asia Leasing was, you know, so many expats and anyone coming in, um, you can find a place to stay, you can find a driver, you can find a maid, you can um, you can get a car and whatever. So you can lease all kind of stuff, and you can set up your life using that. I mean, we we got into so many technology and we we created partnership and that. it just lasted 6 month but it feels like 6 years uh, i mean you know going to the uh, you know in makati that's the japanese food place so we like sometime just eat one meal and go down there everyone the whole gang and you know at 2 am at night and so yeah it, it was fun and we built a lot of things but yeah it didn't last uh, <laughs> everything was down um, you know uh, 2000 so the whole market crashed Uh, I had to also, you know, by that time, my the other company I started, they were getting kind of like, hey, uh, you, where are you? Where are you in this? And so I had to like disengage out of it. Um, but I knew they were comfortable then, uh, and they were running a business. By the way, that company got acquired by Li Chu. Wow! Some yeah, congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we didn't make much money. I, 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 but, but still, I, uh, a yeah, win is got, a win. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. There you go. <laughs> so. Yeah, that, oh, yeah, you're part of this book, the book, the finishers. I remember, uh, <laughs> right? By, so, by Ezra. Right. So at that stage over there, 
I got into tech and got totally hooked by it because I realized while real estate and construction and all is great, it takes time. But in software, you can actually create something that can have an impact quickly. So out of the ashes of that other company, which like literally the computer servers were pulled out <laughs> and you could not pay, uh, you, you needed servers then, right? So we had like these two big ones where you can sit on. Um, so one was for SQL, the other was for the web. And there, uh, But anyway, so that was the past. And by August, we realized we want to do more of this. So I had a bunch of my friends and others who joined uh, the previous company, but then that didn't go anywhere. But out of that, a small group realized there is a lot of opportunity, there's a lot of potential, and we want to do this. There comes the next nine months, or August, September, October, November, December, January, February, March. So about eight to nine months. So Blastasia was incorporated only in um, April, I think. That's because we only had money to incorporate it. <laughs> but we were already working as a company since August. Hence and August here on LinkedIn. Yep. All right. So I'll just fast forward this because 20 years, we cannot cover this in this episode. We're going to have to do three episodes <laughs> to do 22 years and nine months of Blast Asia. Walk me through the eras or the phases that you had to go through, the ups and downs that you remember going through in Blast Asia, types of companies, you uh, types of products you built, people that came along the way, failures. Yep, yep. And a lot of failures for sure. Oh, and yeah. how do you bounce back for each and every one of them? So we started Blast Asia. In fact, if you look at BOI registration of Blast Asia, the story would sound like someone is talking about salesforce.com. Wow. We literally started at the same point of time as Salesforce was doing in the US. Wow. We both literally looked at Siebel the desktop CRM software and said, hey, there can be a better one on the web. And that was the start. Of course, we couldn't go too far. No funding, nothing in this market. Um, but Bootstrap this. Yeah, so uh, try to bootstrap. We realized that, you know, you cannot really bootstrap um, product if you have no revenue and no funding. So it started getting bastardized by every client who wanted something else out of it. And you are so in need of money, you just agree to whatever they are asking. Uh, so we decided, okay, this is not going to work now. Let's just become a service company. And uh, we said, okay, let's just, if we can't build our own product, let's build product for others. And that was the startup Blastasia, product engineering service. So most of our clients from last 22 years have been all uh, ISVs or, you know, uh, product companies from across the world. Nice. And that's what, uh, that's that's actually a running regular business. I have a management team who can take care of it. Mm -hmm. And towards the, um, around 10 years ago, we wanted to go back to the, old, the old age that did not work twice. Okay. Uh, so we said, okay, now. What we product was this? So the first one was the Asia leasing, of course, the dot com that okay. didn't go. The second one was the Salesforce uh, equivalent okay. thing that mm. did not happen. So now uh, we started back and that's when we probably met the first time, right? You said uh, Zamun. Yes. So since then, in the last 10 years, we have built around 10 or attempted roughly around 10 products. 
And uh, well, that Zamun has evolved into something else and there were so many others and everything. And we created this company about four years ago, Quick Reach. So Quick Reach was um, the no-code platform. One thing led to other, but Quick Reach as a platform with no code and you can do so many things, got our idea. We got about 20 plus clients from wow. all over. We still have some of them. Okay. Uh, like, like whenever you buy blueberries or raspberries at the supermarket, you'll see Driscoll brand. It's coming from Australia. It's coming from our client. So there's like 120 farms that produces berries that goes through that, that's managed through QuickReach, the whole supply chain. So anyway, that went well, but at some stage we realized um, when you talk to CXOs, they don't see the no-code as a pain. They see that as a pain of their IT. So They just want the product, whatever, whether it's done code, through code or no code, they, they don't care. So they will pass you to there and that discussion went too long. So at some stage, uh, about in 2001, we said we got to find business problem to solve rather than a technology problem. And, and that business problem was? We went through like several. We have, under QuickReach, we have one of the largest uh, aircon company, uh, Daikin, using. Wow. Uh, and we said, hey, uh, if Daik on behalf of Daikin, if they are, they are like 600, 700 mom and pops are using it, why don't we sell a solution to them? So we, we went through that, except we realized the mom and pops and SMBs are great story, yep. but they're not ready. They're not ready to absorb technology. They yep. didn't have time. You have to super duper dumb it down, simplify it. And even then, um, you know, so yeah, you know this, I mean, we all have gone through these challenges. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it makes a good story. But to make money is a whole different game. So we went through different cycles of uh, trying to identify segments for whom we can create a vertical solution. And out of that, what we realized is, um, well, we stumbled upon construction. That's ready. So it and was it, like it goes full circle. Full circle back. To where you were. And, okay, so, so the 20 plus years of technology experience and my civil engineering and my own experience on the field and uh, others in real estate, everything came together just to realize that, okay, there is something that I can help improve. That's perfect. Now, all right, I want to zero in on one thing. In my second company, Chatbot PH, I lived that life. Doing service businesses, again, all right, a couple of things that are very, very hard in doing a dev shop model. Everyone, there's a, there's good money mm -hmm. in it. Easiest to get started. Yes. But what you're going to end up with is you're going to end up, say, let's just say the contract is worth 10 million to 20 million pesos. Woo, nice, 20 million pesos. Yeah. You're probably going to get a down payment. I don't know, depending on how you tranche it out, 30 to 50%. And then you're fucked after. <laughs> so, okay, this is, how, this is, what, this is what happened. We, we went to that thing. In okay. the very beginning, okay. just to realize we lost shirt in every deal that we got in. And, you know, we didn't want to lose our reputation and always this hook to this thing about solving a problem and the value. So we literally lost money trying to cater to the client's need. Yeah. And then 
by so that was from 2001 till 2004 trying to make it work in the local market 2005 four 5 onwards we said okay uh, we just can't make it work here and survive we started looking at offshore markets so we our first uh, one one Jap- japanese client and another one uh, from san diego us wow. uh, that's when we started you know the interesting thing time actually that that <laughs> san diego client is still with us wow 20 plus years cuz here's the problem this is my biggest problem in chatbot ph again same scenario 10 20 million right so yeah you'll probably get your first check in a 30 to 60 day span if you're lucky yep yep, yep. collection collection dude They're, they're, the bigger the client, the slower they pay. And they have they're, 500 reasons for why it's not released. Yeah, you'll just say bureaucracy and it will cripple your business. To the point like the CFO is in vacation, so check cannot <laughs> be signed. <laughs> the, the whole freaking bureaucracy is so hard. I mean, no, I'm, not, I'm not complaining, but this is the exact same thing I went through. It's an AR business. So Everything's going to be stuck in account receivable. So, you know, in Blast Asia, we... Don't have any receivable beyond forty-five days. How? How did you do this? Because you went offshore. Well, one is offshore. The second is it's a um, it's like what you call it's a managed service. So we bill them on hours we deliver. Got it. And the second thing is we knew we are not going to get money from outside. So we said, you know, if you don't pay us, we'll just stop working. So. This has been the basic philosophy. I have actually walked out of a few clients, like some big names locally. Uh, I mean, we don't take local projects, but sometimes it comes in and we take and uh, it's like, you know, we, we still stick to that same managed service. You know, you have to pay us, not on the basis of uh, lump sum contract, right. etc. But, you know, this many hours going in and you pay us, etc. You bill with the margin. And then they don't pay. And I say, I stop working. You stop the tap. And right. th- that's what I have done more than two, three times with some big names. And that got them pissed. But they said, hey, I mean, I just can't operate. You know, we right. are hand to mouth. I have to, mm. I cannot delay one day salary. So, you know, I cannot work with someone who's not going to pay me on time. So that's what we went through in Chatbot PH, even post-acquisition. It's like, oh my God, nobody wants to pay. I've already done. And then I was like, wait, I'm not going to sign a certificate of completion because like, wait, I think I need this more. So I'm like, damn it. Uh, but I, I, a couple of things I really want to find out. So while I'm super impressed because that's rare, most dev shops that I know fall into the same pitfall I fell into. But second thing is, once you taste, and I, I'll just go on tangent a little bit, Shout out to JDL, um, Jonathan, Jonathan <laughs> Deluzuriaga, yeah, who, I, who I've had on the show 2019, 2020. And I still remember, I'm not, sh- I'm not specific about the number of, or the ratio of de- tech companies, but it's over 90% are dev shops. So a, yeah. a lot of the talent that we have end up with dev shops, which are, which are not bad, yeah. to be honest with you. So it's a good business. If you can figure out your cash flow collection policy, right? But it's hard to build a dev shop because I've tried this before to go from service and build product at the same time. One, 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 one team comes to mind. The guys from Simph, they came clean and said, "Oh my God, it was so hard to stay afloat." And they had the same problem that I I had, 
And they also were trying to build product because that's that was the main reason why they created. How did you go through that process? It's so hard to get 10x engineers who are now wired to make a client happy to mm. all of a sudden wear a product hat to build product Actually, that you have. Actually, uh, in my experience, the challenge is not for the engineers. I mean, they will build whatever you ask them okay. to build, right? Um, What's the challenge? The challenge is of the management. The challenge is on the top, not at the bottom. Top your level or middle management? The one, the one Everyone, whoever invested in you, uh, your, your, not the middle management, the senior management. The board. The board, as well as your colleagues, um, sales, marketing, whatever you have in the service, right? Because imagine. Is it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? No, not that. You know this, it takes forever to get a product market fit. Fuck yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. You know, five, ten years passes by, you, you realize you haven't even figured what the heck it is, right? And just bled so much money and resources into that. And that could have been a bonus. That could be, have been a company outing in Batangas. That yep. could have been a trip to, I don't know, Tokyo. Buffet. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, for the entire company. So, it's the delayed gratification challenge that you have to overcome. Because most of the time, your team is kind of, you know, the service team. It's like, hey, we made money. Mm. Then why are we not enjoying it? Why are we throwing it into something? And, and this is even your colleagues. And even the board has to be aligned. Because, you know, if you can't get them to support you, to throw in everything that is coming and some more uh, yeah. into some, you know, wild goose chase that may work someday. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, what, what's the chances of success in a startup? You know, less than 5, 10%, right? Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're going for something, you have to have that support. I mean, other than the endurance, mental and monetary and everything. So, but, you know, I couldn't have built whatever we built in Steer if I don't have that other uh, company because, I mean, there's no money around. Correct. You have to, to have fund. a cash cow. So, but to solve that problem, we actually separated the company. So, Quick Reach Inc. is a separate company than Blast Asia Inc. And the investor is Blast Asia? Uh, majority, but not all. Okay. I also raised from friends and families. Yeah, sure. So but we, a good chunk is still technically the main hold co or the main yep, yep, entity yep, yep. is still blessed. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's the and going back to your and question. It won't affect your cash flow statement. It won't mess <laughs> it up because it's a separate entity. If it fails, yeah, then yeah, it won't yeah. go upstream. Well, you know, you don't think of failing uh, when you <laughs> <laughs> you remember the glass is half full, but yep. because there is more things to do on the oh top. Oh my god. <laughs> but going back. Yes, you're right. And this, is, this is, has been our endeavor in PSIA to encourage the service companies to transform to a higher value product business. We ran like workshops and training and everything for like 2012 across the board of all PSIA companies just to realize we just can't change the mindset. After one whole year of workshop and good attendance, everyone learning lean startup and everything else, uh, there was not much happening other than one or two companies. 
And even out of those one or two top companies in the country, uh, they gave up after trying it for four or five years and all that. And then they're, as you know, service business, if you can figure out how to yeah, get nice the deal. That's a nice lucrative yeah. and business. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different time frame money. Correct. You get it today. But I'll just double down. So I want to go deep into this rabbit hole here. Sure. With a service business, so you're basically selling man hours. Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. um, to build product. In our case, in PNA, we're sort of like a service business too with a tech component of it. We sell our hours to build podcasts. So here's the chicken and egg here. If you're looking at profitability, fuck yeah, it can be profitable. Yep. Because if you just- can be within the first- First deal, you right. are sort of right. profitable if because you can you manage can put the, the cost. margins right. Yep, and you just multiply it through X, and if you it, can collect, <laughs> and you can collect, <laughs> then it, it's going to be easier. Yep, but that is not sexy from a venture capital. It's not model. scalable easily. Correct, because there's a human component to it. Yeah, and mm. there is a there's a component, not only of human, but you know, at some stage, you have to think whether you want to deal with the people more mechanically. If you want to take care of them, if you want to grow them, if you want to groom them, groom them and, 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 you know, you want them to experience part of the success and all, then you cannot grow the company to a level where you can have thousands of people because then you have to run it like by numbers. BPO, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So that, now it's, a, it's not a bad thing. It's great business if that's what someone wants to do. But like with us, we decided early on, I don't want a company more than 150, 200 people. It's hard. Not only hard, I want to know who's who I'm working with, right? Yes. I want to have that feel instead of, you know, just becoming, I mean, then what's the point of doing what we are doing after trying so hard and working and being an entrepreneur and you become like a cog in that whole Correct. system down Correct. the line? So that's great. And again, just to circle back, products technically are what, if you're, so the, the, the route is here. Basically, the, the path is if you're going to go the service route and you work, especially say in technology, what you're going to end up with is you're going to have to be going towards a path to, of profitability mm -hmm. because you cannot rely on big venture capital. Yeah, no one funds that. Yeah. They will buy you out maybe. They want, correct. Because they will want the 10x multiple. Now, here's our challenge. There's a lot of tech talent here. Mm -hmm. But if you say over 90% of that tech talent ends up in a dev shop, that's why we have that, that scarcity in creating products. And the products are basically the ones that, that scale. That scale, that, again, whatever business model you end up with with your, your startup. So, so check, that's the reality. And when I was talking to JDL in 2019, that's still the reality. I think it will take a long time. And if you ever get to that level where this product driven, it you need to find a co-founder at the tech level that can build things very fast and have the mindset of building product first and not sell out and go all in. But you need to compensate that guy very, very well. <laughs> you know, I I I I find the um... The technology part in a startup to be not a deal breaker. It's the other parts that's hard. Which is? Um, 
product market fit, going and talking to people, managing your own emotions and your team and everything, the ups and downs that kills ah, you, yeah. right? So, I mean, those are the hard part. Uh, you know, having the patience. I mean, you know, you are down uh, sometime, and but you cannot show it to your team, otherwise everyone will fall apart. So, you know, I mean, a lot of other parts are more difficult. Building a tech is easy, especially in this age of chat GPTs and everything automated and bots and all. You know, I mean, you can take some no-code platform and you can create something good enough to launch a product. So that I, 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 I do not believe people who complain that, oh, I cannot launch my product because I don't have enough tech talent or whatever, right? Those That's the last excuse you should have. Um, it's all about the founders. Yeah, it's it's about your ideas. It's about solving a problem. It's about sticking. It's the endurance. It's the grit to believe in what you want to solve and sticking to it. Yeah, but there's one more thing, and people always forget this component. It's timing. Oh, well, that's always the case. I mean, you can do whatever you can do, but you know, you cannot guarantee success. Success is driven by time. Because it either it's hard to find that Goldilocks spot where you're either too early, where you're going to have to die for everybody else to thrive, or you're too late because everybody has caught on. Well, last question, Arup, before we take our last break. You've mentioned, Ren, uh, the hard truths of running a dev shop. And now again, now, now I get it why you were able to do this 22 years, nine months as we're recording this. But walk me through the ups and downs and how did you survive? Because there are going to be so if you had a near-death experience with a jaguar or a leopard um, and, and tigers and the sagada stuff, the, the scariest shit you have to go through as an entrepreneur is not the stuff that you almost fell off of a yeah, cliff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not having enough money for payroll. Mass resignations. And everything, every single Client bullshit. stealing you know, your uh, large part of the team and everything. How did you cope? As a founder, so you and know what did you learn about yeah, yourself? Yeah, that's this that's this, this is like we went through three cycles of downturns. Okay, we, uh, can we, you can you talk about this real quick? I mean, and this is not our own. This is the global economy thing, right? Okay. So when so again, we started, timing. yeah, you can't control this. Yep, when you mm. started, it was after the nine eleven happened, so after the you know right. the 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 economy, whatever the bubble burst and everything else, right? So uh, all those people who used to see in khakis and white shirt as uh, they were supposed to be investors, everyone disappeared in the market. Oh no! <laughs> so you know. Uh -huh. um, I mean, literally, my my some of my friends and colleagues from the other company said, "Hey, haven't you seen the news? You know, tech is dead. Why are you still there? Why don't you come back and work with us?" Right. Um, so that that was that was then. So that was the first downturn. The second was the one of the global financial meltdown of two thousand nine. We kind of felt it a little delayed. So in my mind, it's a 2010 problem rather than wow. 20. So, you know, they took a while and then a bunch of... So, you know, our business model is to work with companies who depends on us and they stay with us forever, uh, sort of whatever it forever is in a corporate setting. So like, you know, one of our first clients we are talking about that's like close to 18, 19 years they have been with us. And a lot of others have been with us uh, as long. And some of them at that stage, the smaller ones, shut down. Uh, 20. So the interesting thing that happened was, so, okay, I'll go through the downturns. And obviously, the 
pandemic was the last yeah. one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we, and you know, as entrepreneurs, you got to pay salary on time. You, and 120, 30 people is a lot of salary. <laughs> How close did you go with not, not making payroll? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can hear that nervous laughter. <laughs> it, it's, it's always hard. It, it's still hard. It's still hard. We, Did you make it or you had to delay? No, no, we, 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 we delayed in the beginning, first three, four years. Uh, for the last 20, uh, 18, 19 years. We've always found a way. We found a way. And we actually don't know how the heck we find the way. Something <laughs> happens the last minute to make it happen. But somehow we have been able to make it happen. Correct. Correct. It, it's It's traumatic. And there's yeah. nothing, no matter how many times you go through My it, CFO says he's getting PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> but the relief that you get knowing that you fucking made payroll. Yeah, yeah. Well, you just start worrying about the next one. Yeah, you, you, you're probably like, yeah. So, you know, I, as I, an employee, the, we made it. The, as an employee, the most, uh, fun time is the payroll day as an entrepreneur that's the one you dread <laughs> start worrying about it yep when 15 hit, you you probably celebrate on the night that you made it on the 15th 16th your, your trauma and your stress just starts to accelerate all the way going so to the 30th you see the, the the problem going back to your previous question like you know how do you get a service company to go into product it's actually this because if I don't have this startup where we are spending $50,000 a month, our other operation is smooth and profitable. I could have a clear cash in bank every month from the service business. And then you can take risks because you've covered. Well, this is the risk we took and now this, <laughs> this is causing the pains, right? So, so I mean, to cover $50,000 for the startup a month, burn rate, is, I mean, we have like, how much is that? Like 20 or something like that. Out yeah. of that is already covered from the cash flow. But yeah, I mean, we've been doing it for like three, four years. So it takes a lot of, um, you know, blood out of the other business to feed this one and keep it. You can only do that for so long also. That is amazing. All right, now let's take our last break. And when we come back, we will now pay it forward. Because aside from, again, being a, a founder, I want to... We'll, we'll do a deep dive on how Arup changed as a founder as well through time. And of course, how he pays it forward as a mentor and also as a professor teaching founders as we know now. But let's talk about that more after the break. And we're back. Hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again. And we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Crowd Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter 
Order has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Filipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag Uno Ready Savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag Uno Earn or hashtag Uno Boost Time Deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag Uno Earn and flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named FinTech of the Year at last year's Philippine FinTech Festival in 2023. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. We are still with Arup Mighty again, who told us again this amazing hustle that you've done. Again, 
massive respect for you. Thank uh, you. And now, whew, if I only knew, our hindsight's only twenty twenty, but you only realize that when you fucked up already. Again, I, I want to understand a couple things. Starting with being a founder through those iterations and economic downturns, can you walk me through how you also changed as a founder? Did you manage people differently? Because me, I went through that same process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thirteen years in, and it's funny because a lot of my lifers, I call them my lifers. So, shout out to Madam Ivy. So she's been with me since she was an intern in Party File mm. in Jesus.ph. She was head of operations in chatbot ph still our head of operations now so what she said is the same fire exists the same hustle you, i'm the same loud guy you know but there's multiple layers that have added onto it especially with my temper before i was like oh man you're gonna hear this i'm gonna go guns blazing with the worst swear words now i get mad and like you know how i say it, how i do that I just go in with a straight face and I just say, I'm disappointed. And I, I look back like, how the fuck am I doing this right now? <laughs> but there's a lot of layers that I had to learn along the way, but it went through so much mistakes that I should have acted this way when this happened. And you don't, you don't get to prepare for that because you, you can only learn it once you've already experienced it. What were those key moments that improved you as a founder because eventually you're, you're you're teaching us now how to become a better founder how to become a better executive because that's a that's a whole journey in its own from zero to one to become a proper executive so to to be worthy of calling yourself a ceo those are two separate jobs a founder and ceo are two two separate jobs that's an evolution you have to take what was that like for you as a i mean most of us entrepreneurs are impatient <laughs> Isn't it? Yes. Uh, yes. But the world around us don't move at the pace we expect it to, right? I learned that the hard way. Even the best of your employees, uh, they want the Saturday and Sunday off. They want the vacation. They want time offs. Yeah. We don't time off. We work here till we fall asleep. <laughs> I mean, in our brain, something is running. We yeah. text each other at you know, whatever, 11 saying, hey, sorry, in, in case you're awake, this is what I Can want. Can I run something by <laughs> So that is a big learning. You realize yeah. you cannot expect that. In the beginning, it used to be a disappointment. Like, you know, we're a team. Why are you hustle, not? Hustle, hustle, hustle. Except you realize, right. no, you are the founder. You have that obligation and the reason. But the rest of them are still looking at as an employment. Right, so you cannot expect that from them, and and on a sustained pace for long. Yeah, they will put in uh, for a period. If maybe. you're batting for survival, then yep. it's war time. Yeah. Everybody's got to step up. But once you're over the hump, you got to give people their. You can't do that for years on, right? So, even so, you as a founder, you can't you can't yeah. sustain that either. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> yes, but we're, we're we're crazy fucks. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing, right? So yeah. you got to be a little bit of nuts to be yeah. a founder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, you know, going to that, like when I, uh, there are several disappointments along with that. Like, you know, when you work with some of the best tech guys and you kind of think you are sharing a vision and you think they are aligned and the next day they go for another 5,000 peso extra job just because that pays 5,000 more. And you kind of feel like in the beginning, betrayed and all that. 
But later on, you realize, nah, uh, you know, it's life. Everyone has their priorities. Maybe, you know, he needed that 5,000 for his wife Whatever. or whoever yeah. said. And so you can't take it personally. And you, you just have to learn to build those risk management into your process, right? So, yeah, I mean, those those were the big learnings, the patience of the bullshit that comes with this job. Yeah. Uh, you got to kind of be comfortable with it. You got to have more patience for people, understand. So, yeah, it's more of trying to understand others while you have your pressures of, you know, whatever you promise to the investors, whatever you, yeah. the salaries you have to pay on the, and your own. So, you know, I mean, if given the choice, all of us would want everyone working 80 hours every day, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, including the client, <laughs> including the client. We want to call up the client at the middle of the yeah. night, right? Yeah. I mean, if, but obviously that's not how the world works. Uh, so, Especially not with this generation. So, yeah. I, I would struggle with this for a while. Oh, for a while, the Gen, the Gen Z is probably one of the most talented naturally because they're tech savvy. But of course, they're not built with the same trials and tribulations that we had to go through. So we, ha I learned, I had to learn how to adapt and even measure the type of time that they do, and even even zoom in to like, hey, why are you spending X amount of time? Can we make your work more efficient? But those are the things that I I wanted to learn. I I eventually learned, but. Arup, I want to, again, double down on that question. Yeah. From being a founder to a proper CEO that runs the boardroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that, I, I mean, the reverse is- journey for you? The reverse went for me, right? I was trained to be ah, a CEO, CEO right? Uh, I was, ah. you know, I mean, AIM, that's what they do. They okay. tell you now from the beginning that we are training you for the boardroom. So you get that. And then even those my years- uh, in my consulting years, I was meeting in the boardroom of these top companies. Yeah. So that was where I started. And then I went down the rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> Catch me, it's dirty. Uh -huh. So what was that journey from being boardroom CEO material to all of a sudden sweatshirts, roll up your sleeves, founder, zero to one shit? It's the drive that keeps you going, right? I, I mean, you know, I, I have always tried consciously and unconsciously to not fall for the limelights and uh, things. You know, it's it's the idea of generating value. And you know, I mean, it might sound like one of the buzzword, but that's what <laughs> I try to kind of focus on. Of course. Try to Solving ask, problems. ask that question in every key things that we do. Like, are we doing it for vanity or are we doing it for real value. Even on the other things, like you're talking about the things I try to do to give back. So in the beginning, AIM, I joined because we were broke. Uh, <laughs> 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 so, what so, did I say? Uh, AIM pays well. Yeah. Uh, nice high tuition. Actually, actually, not that well. Not that well, but there's some McDonald's right across the street you can make, it, make ends meet. So, you know, I mean, uh, my wife, um, she came in in uh, when was that mid of mid of two thousand. Okay. Uh, took her six months to process all the visas and everything. Okay. She came in and then we were in the starvation mode. We oh, were man. trying to so you know new wife uh, <laughs> in a new country. So you know being a foreigner has its own benefits. Uh, no one is 
kind of, you know, if you are around people, you know, they are kind of concerned, like, what the heck is this guy doing? But, you know, if you are in a new country and no one is there, so you're not too worried about things. You're not worried about who your dad is or your parents are or whoever, <laughs> what is there, right? You yeah. just do whatever you need to do. Mm. So uh, maybe that's why the immigrants and every country are more risk takers because they don't have to live up to the expectation Clean of the slate. society. Right. So, you know, whatever you do, you fail, you go back to like with us, uh, with me, idea was, you know, if you fail, you fail, but you do the best. I mean, one philosophy that I always run by is, you know, no regrets. You do what you need to do. Uh, even if you fail, at least, you know, you didn't hold back. Yeah. So that that's that's the central philosophy of everything. Arup Mahdi, ladies and gentlemen. That's amazing. But I, I want to I wanna then zero in on you being a professor. So you, you've also been teaching for quite a while now. Yeah. Through your journey as an entrepreneur and seeing your students go through mm-hmm. the same shit you had to go through, how did you improve as a mentor, as a professor? And what was what did you take from your journey as an entrepreneur mm-hmm. that applied very well when you're in the classroom? So, yeah, I mean, you know, in the beginning, as I said, it was just a convenient thing that someone wanted to teach uh, project management uh, and I was around and uh, IT and IT project management executive program. So it was for the convenience of, you know, having some more money because, you know, we're broke. Uh, <laughs> but uh, as it time went now it's actually more investment to spend time in teaching than the money it makes it doesn't make much money uh, but it's like every time i teach i learn too uh, it makes me think differently uh, on the same topics even if i teach the same topic the, the classrooms because you know i teach a lot of executive education program i mean my last program i had someone who ran pal And then he retired and he has a new uh, airlines company in something. And he's like 80 years or something. And he was my student. And this is a different level of discussion uh, you learn. uh, At the same time. The same way I'm actually doing the same routine here in Hustle Share. But every single episode is unique. So that's why it doesn't matter now how much you make or not. Uh, what matters is the learning, the discussion. Yeah. You can you elevate to a different level when you go to the classroom. So there are different kinds of students. Uh, so I, I taught on the entrepreneurial programs and I also taught on the project management side of things. So those are the two things I handle. Um, and the digital strategy side. So when I speak to like one of my first class uh, and some of my students still remember when I go into the entrepreneurship class, the first thing I tell them is don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. Don't do what? Don't do any entrepreneurship of doing, right? Um, (laughs) Because it's a lot of pain. Uh, This is the worst way to make money. So so I (laughs) I start by saying you will probably regret doing entrepreneurship uh, so don't do a startup because that's the worst way the most difficult way to make money so you will make all my all my friends all my classmates are actually they are much more comfortable in life than oh, i yeah. am <laughs> <laughs> but but there's a but yes if you like that thrill if you want to be in control of your own destiny just like us 
And yes, there's going to be a lot of misery. I keep saying this in every episode recently. Probably eight or nine days out of 10 are fucked up. But that one day or two days that you fucking get it done, man, it's 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 worth it. Even I don't care how much money you make. It's just yeah, it's just fun. It's the control of your own destiny. Yes. You make to build. You get to build something that matters. It you know you are doing big or small doesn't matter. At least yeah. it's in your. If you fail, it's up to you. But there's a big responsibility as you. Yep. Bring your grow your team because mm-hmm. now people will rely on their livelihood and feeding their families yes. and whatever they're doing. Yes, all set, all ends mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and and you know you kind of you get comfortable with it in the beginning. You're worried later on. You share with you, you built your team. Yes, you you know you bring them on board, let them understand what is going on. Um, you have your own circles of people inside. You know they know, and as they trust you with the transparency, is something also you learn as a founder. So you need to kind of be more transparent with the responsibility of transparency is there. So, but then there is also the this is the other part of balancing act we all do, right? So how much to disclose? <laughs> yeah. How much to disclose? Not to be. Um, you know, deceiving or anything, but it's like because every person you deal with at different level can handle certain kind of stress, right? Yeah. Or so you're not supposed to dump all your problem on the name of transparency. <laughs> so you, you give them what they can deal with, and the rest you deal with with whoever else can deal with you. And I always liken it. I always talk to my leaders in in PNA and recently. It's called the Stanford Duck Syndrome. So. The, the the story is in Stanford, if you go to the, their campus, you'll see a lot of very chill looking students who look like they're having the time of their life. You know? Like, oh, th- these guys are doing good. But in the if you look under the sheets, they're scrambling like motherfuckers. So just like a duck in a pond, you glide through the water like it's you're calm, but you're paddling like crazy underneath. And that's how you are to be going to be an entrepreneur because at the end of the day, people look up to you. How is Arup handling this? <laughs> She's probably dying inside. Yeah. But you got to show <laughs> poise. That's the proper word. You need to show poise. And that's what is needed in every role, whether you are a CEO or, I mean, you know, you get paid to deal with troubles. Uh, by the way, going back to your other question on giving back. So, you know, since... The other than the education side, I've been with PSIA since yep. like how many years now? 15, 16, Big boys of PSIA. Yep. Um, it's, a, it's the reason I have been with that so long is because we as a board over there has been very, you know, non-political. Looks and like it. Yep. Very focused on value creation for the industry. Um, I mean, you know, we put in like 10 years of effort on the startup ecosystem Without worrying about who gets the, you know, uh, reputation of it. And, yeah. and we started at the same time. Some of time. you guys are competitors. Um, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that, that's that's what, what I'm talking about. Yes. It's not predatory. You don't see it as zero sum. No, no. Because the market is like, you know, we're not competing with the other player in the Philippines, right? We are talking about think global, bring more business to the country. 
So that was the whole idea also why last 10 years as uh, Spring PH, we have been helping because that time there was no maintaining, there was no, uh, you know, pitching. So that's what Spring PH did. Nice. And we went around the country, taught around more than 500 professors from universities uh, to do the, you know, mentoring and, and, and the college uh, so they can do those teaching the concept of lean startup and yeah. agile and this and that. So that, that led to those Philippine startup challenges and all. It's part of, you know, getting the ground level things going. And, and now, it, so we stopped that. Because we saw there is enough uh, uh, mentoring and yeah, training and yeah. other things happening. Yep. So we said, you know, why beat on the same thing? So not to compete on, on that because the job is done. So we moved to other side. Yeah, you so go been, upstream. No, downstream, downstream. At that. Well, yeah, different things you do. So you find where is the gap in the industry? What can you do that mm -hmm. will make a difference? So that's, that's, the, that's the whole philosophy around PSIA that has been happening. Um, been very active participant in that I also try to help out as needed in in terms of you know like DICT sometimes reaches out advice like we're part of helping structure that um, fund, fund. The, the, the grant fund grant yeah. fund so you know how to do it right um, because you know uh, with this many years of trying to raise money and everything yeah. You know, you may not end up making or uh, raising the money, but you end up becoming friends with the funds. So, <laughs> so at that stage, you can reach out to them and say, "Hey, there's something happening. You might be interested." So that's that's how what has been happening over the years. Uh, I'm always eager to help any founder. Uh, want to make sure they don't learn from their mistake, but from our own mistakes as yes. much possible. Thank you so much, Arup, for such an amazing, amazing episode. But again, if they want to reach out to you and work with you, get mentored, or again, work, have some offshore dev jobs that they need, where do they go and how do they do that? Well, uh, they can easily reach out to me on either through my LinkedIn okay. profile. He replies, uh, by the way. Very nice. Mm -hmm. And thank you. And then also BlastAsia.com website is there. And for the construction industry, uh, anyone, you know, we are trying to really change how things are done there. And we have uh, the clients who are actually, you know, they have great words to say about the benefits they have gotten from that. So, you know, steerplatform.com is where they can also go and find out. So, yeah, if that's the industry you are in, we can have Best you. in the business right here again. Arup, thank you so much for being an amazing guest. But before I let you go, follow us on whatever podcast app you're listening to, whether Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any type of podcast app. And if we did say some jargon, it's going to be the show notes on hillshare.com. And lastly, if you want to be part of the community, that's like, you know, sometimes he's here, sometimes he's not. Like Gab Abbott, who gets to ask our guests, uh, just go and check out the Hustle Share Premium Packages. We're going to be launching Founders Only very soon, so watch out for that. But again, Arup, thank you very much. Thank you. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.